Today I'm beginning a brand new teaching. And what I'm going to start talking about is the grace of giving. And my reason for doing this is because just a short period of time ago, I taught a series on the book of Romans. And we had a tremendous response. It's one of the highest responses that we've ever had to anything that we've ever taught on our television program. And people were just being set free as they began to recognize that God does not relate to us based on our performance, that our performance doesn't earn us any pull with God. And one of the phrases that I used quite often through that was that faith doesn't move God, that God is already moved by grace, and all faith does is just appropriate what God has already done. So anyway, I was teaching on all of these truths about the grace of God and how that God loves us independent of our actions. And God doesn't move in our life when we do better, and He doesn't cease to move when we do worse. That God does everything He does through grace. And we taught that through the book of Romans, and like I said, there was a tremendous response. But there was a couple of people who had this question. One lady in particular wrote me, and she said that I received everything you said, It really had liberated her, but she just had a question. She wasn't contentious. She says, how does giving fit into this? Because the way that she had been taught was that you have to give and then God gives back unto you. In other words, God responds to your giving. It looks like that the typical way people have understood giving is contradictory to what I've taught and what I believe the Bible teaches on the subject of grace. And so there's a number of people that had this question. Myself, when the Lord really taught me about grace, this is one of the first questions that I had. Well, now, how does giving work into this? Because you have to give in order to get God to give you this. When you give, it's given back unto you. It looks like that God is responding to what you do, that He is moving in your life proportional to your actions. And that violates what I believe the Bible teaches about grace. So this was a question that I had, and I had to get it answered. This is actually a follow-up teaching to what I did on the grace of God in the book of Romans. And I believe that this is really going to help you, because if you can get this, it will make a difference not only in your finances and in your prosperity, but it will help you to understand the grace of God even greater. And I believe it's going to make a big difference in your life. Let me start this by turning over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, there is more information given given in Scripture on the subject of giving and prosperity than any other one place in Scripture. There are two chapters devoted specifically to this subject. And I'm just going to read a portion of these Scriptures. Let's start with 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, that's just old English, for we want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And then he continues to talk about finances and prosperity. Now, notice this terminology, the grace of God. And then he starts talking about finances. In other words, prosperity, true giving and receiving, is not an exception to the grace of God. It's not just like a different category where you have to operate in works over here and God's only going to give back to you if you give first and all of this. No, this is still talking about the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then in a great trial of affliction, 
the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now the background of this passage of Scripture is that the Apostle Paul was on his way to Jerusalem because there was a famine in Jerusalem and the Christians in Jerusalem were in need. And so as he passed through Macedonia and Achaia, he was taking up an offering to take to these people. And it says that these people right here in Corinth, or excuse me, he's talking, he's talking to the people in Corinth, but he's talking about the churches of Macedonia, which this was Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi. They're listed over in the book of Acts. And he says that these churches of Macedonia, they begged him, they entreated him that he would, they, that Paul would let them participate in this offering. They wanted to send money. And it says over here in the first and the second verses that they were in a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. In other words, these weren't just really affluent people who had extra left over and they... Yeah, I asked Paul to take it, but instead these were people that had deep poverty. They had severe needs themselves, but because of the love of Christ in their heart, they were wanting to give to other people. So that's the background of this. Man, this is tremendous. I'm believing for this day. I've seen it in very small ways, but I'm believing for a day when, praise God, people will get such a revelation about giving and what it does and and about understanding how it communicates the love of God in such a way that people will beg you to take their money. Please let me participate in this. I've experienced that in a very limited way where sometimes I haven't taken an offering, I just forgot it or whatever, and I've had people come up and say, man, you're stealing a blessing from me. I want to participate. I've had individuals do that, but I don't think I've ever had a church service where, uh, you know, if you didn't take up an offering that somebody would complain about it. The whole congregation would complain. That's the way it should be if you understand giving properly. Matter of fact, most people, if you were to go to church and if they didn't take up an offering and you got out of there without them passing the plate, you would consider that a tremendous blessing instead of something negative. You'd think, praise God, this is awesome. But you know what? That's not a right attitude on giving. So this is saying that they prayed with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. In other words, he says they didn't just give their money, but they gave their heart, first of all. They were 100% behind this benevolence giving that he was doing. They were wanting to show their love to these people, and they just showed it by giving their money. And in verse 6, he goes on to say, "...insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also." Now notice, here in six verses that we've read, twice it talks about the grace. And in the sixth verse it says that he wants Titus to finish this same grace in you also. So I'm using these verses to establish a point. And that point is that when you give... And then God gives back unto you, like Luke 6.38 says. This is not an exception to the grace of God. This isn't like giving is not under the grace of God, and it's just legalistic. It's like you put a coin in the slot and pull a handle, and God comes out, and you can make God give to you. 
That's not true. The same principles of grace that we've been teaching also apply to giving that applies to your right standing with God, to your joy, your peace, your health, your answered prayer, and everything else. Giving is not an exception. Now, I know that some people have trouble making that connection, and that's the reason that I'm teaching on this. And in myself, I had this same thing, because the way that I was taught giving, and this is the reason that this is so hard. If we weren't taught wrong to start with, it wouldn't be hard to connect these dots and to show that grace is involved even in giving. But the reason people have trouble with this is because of the legalistic background that we came from, specifically uh, passages of Scripture like Malachi chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through 11 and 12, where it talks about that if you have not paid your tithes, you have robbed God and you are cursed with the curse. And people have taken that passage of Scripture and have said this is a debt. This is an obligation. And if you don't pay your tithes, God has cursed you with the curse. The wrath of God is coming upon you. Now, y'all don't look at me in that tone of voice. I may have stated it in such an obvious way that most people wouldn't say it exactly the way I said. But you know what? That's exactly the way most people have taken it. That's exactly the way I took it. And I looked at paying my tithe as being a debt, an obligation. And I thought that by me doing that, it was... I know that this is, a, in a sense, a terrible comparison, but it's really the way I looked at it. It was like protection money. You know, the mafia comes around and tells these store owners that, uh, you know, there are some bad people out here, and we know Guido, and Guido is going to come in here, and he's going to destroy your thing, break out your windows. He's going to do all of this, but if you would just give me a little bit of money, we will make sure that Guido doesn't hit your shop. And so what it is, it's protection money. You have to ante up or they're going to loose the mob on you and it's a racket and that's the way that they get their money. Well, in a sense, that's the way a lot of people see prosperity or tithe. In a sense, it's like God is up there and if you don't pay your tithes, I'm going to come after you. You're going to get sick. Your car is going to break down. Your washing machine is going to break. But if you will pay your tithes, then I will do this. Now, If that's the attitude that you have about tithing, and if that's the motive behind your tithe, well, then I can understand why you see this whole principle of giving and receiving as a work of the law, as something you do in order to purchase this blessing or to purchase the protection of God. If that's the way that you think, well, then, yes, there is going to be a problem between what I taught on the grace of God and uh, this principle of giving and receiving. But see, that is not an accurate representation at all. And the Old Testament mindset of if you don't pay your tithes, the wrath of God is coming upon you. The devourer is going to get you and you are cursed with the curse. Now, I don't doubt that that happened. I mean, that is an exact quotation, just about word for word from Malachi chapter 3. But in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3, it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. And in the New Testament, the motivation has changed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, it says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, you can dissect that verse any way you want to. You can look at it in any translation. You can look up the Hebrew and the Greek, and you cannot get around the fact that this is saying that giving 
in the new covenant shouldn't be given grudgingly or of necessity. Any way you want to dissect that, that is in contradiction to what the Old Testament said in Malachi chapter 3 about if you don't give, you are cursed with the curse. You've got to pay this or else. The way that I was raised, the denomination that I came out of, they actually taught that the tithe wasn't a gift. It was a payment. It was a debt. It was an obligation. If you didn't pay it, you were cursed with the curse. And so there was no joy in giving this. It was a mandatory thing. It was also taught that you could not expect any return off of your tithe. It was only the offerings over and above the tithe that you could get any prosperity and and blessing back off of, but that the tithe was a debt. You had to pay it. As a matter of fact, some of you will find this hard to believe, but, uh, you know, I grew up in Texas and I went to a small little Baptist church and it wasn't by any means typical Baptist at all. It was strange. And I remember that the pastor, he would preach and he would lose anywhere from five or ten pounds every time he preached. I mean, sweat would literally run out of his shoes, up over the brim of his shoes. And out he would scream and yell and holler. And one of his favorite things, I know some of you are going to think I'm exaggerating, but honest to God, this is true. I saw this guy jump up on the part of the platform where you put your Bible and he stood on that and bent over and got the microphone that was on the thing, and he used to scream and say, if you don't pay your tithes, God will take it out in doctor bills. And what he was trying to say is that if you don't pay this tithe, then God's going to put you in the hospital and take that money from you through surgery and through bills and all of these kind of things. If you don't pay your tithes, God will make your car break down, and he's going to get that money. God's going to get his tithe one way or the other. Now see, if you're raised with that kind of an attitude, and if that's your motivation for giving, you violate. I mean, there is no way around this. You violate 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. says you're supposed to give, not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. There is a different motivation for giving in the New Testament than there is in the Old Testament. And again, I say the reason I'm teaching on this is because of this series I did on the book of Romans talking about the grace of God. People wrote in and they were just getting set free by the thousands as they understood the grace and the mercy of God. But then they come to a thing like giving and they know that they're supposed to pay their tithes. They know they're supposed to give, but the way that they were taught, it was all legalistic. It was all you've got to give in order to buy God's protection. You've got to give to keep God from cursing you with the curse. And they just, all of a sudden, this begins to undermine the whole principle because they say, but giving isn't about grace. It's all about law. You've got to give or else. Well, see, there is a different motivation in the New Testament. You've got to change the motive behind your giving. You can't departmentalize your life. And just say that in the area of emotions, in the area of righteousness with God, In the area of my relationship, I'm an operating grace. But then when it comes to giving or paying my tithes, that's legalistic and I've got to do this or God won't bless me. You know what? If you do that, you allow a door open into your life that that little bit of leaven will come in and it'll begin to start permeating everything. And before you know it, you've lost your concept of righteousness with God by grace because you've allowed this legalistic thing in your life. In the New Testament... 
You have to give, not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. Here's another scripture that will verify the motive behind your gift over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in verse 3, it says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You know, this is talking about giving. It says, If I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and then the ultimate sacrifice would be to lay down your life, though I give my body to be burned. If you don't do it motivated by charity, that's talking about God's kind of love, it profits you nothing. Let me make a very radical statement right here, but I challenge you to think about this, and this could answer a lot of questions for many of you. If all there was to prosperity is just give, and then it's given back unto you a hundredfold. If that's all that there was, you just give, and then it's like putting a coin in a slot machine. You pull the handle and boom, this comes out. If that's all there was to prosperity, I can guarantee you many of you have given. Many of you have given thousands, maybe tens of thousands of dollars, and yet you still aren't prosperous. You haven't seen a hundredfold return, and it says in Mark chapter 10 that the hundredfold return is in this life and in the life to come, everlasting life. So the hundredfold return isn't just talking about that in heaven it's going to take place. It says in this life you will receive a hundredfold with persecution and in the world to come, everlasting life. So where is this hundredfold return? I believe that in most people's life, the hundredfold return has been voided and it hasn't come to pass because of this scripture, 1 Corinthians 13.3 says that if you give with the wrong motivation, you void the gift. It profits you nothing. In other words, the motive behind your gift is more important than your gift. And if you have been giving with this legalistic mindset that I've got to give or God's going to curse me. I've got to give in order to have God protect me. God's going to loose the devourer on my life if I don't give. If you give with any of those legalistic, performance-oriented motives behind your giving, then you have not fulfilled 2 Corinthians 9-7 where you gave cheerfully, but instead you gave grudgingly and of necessity. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, you didn't give motivated by a pure love for God and therefore it profited you nothing. Now, it may have benefited the person that you gave to, the church that you gave to, or the ministry that you gave to. You might bless somebody else with your giving, but you will never get a hundredfold return off of your giving if you are giving with the wrong motivation. The motivation behind your gift is more important than your gift. Now, those are radical, radical statements. And most people don't teach that, especially most preachers don't teach that. You know why? Because it may cause some people to say, well, I got a rotten attitude, and so you know what? I'd be better off to keep my money. (laughs) Some people are going to decrease their giving, and most ministers, they really don't care about you and you receiving the full benefit off of your giving. They're just wanting you to give to them and whatever motivation they can use. Matter of fact, it's actually easier to use condemnation to motivate people. Because you know what? You can take a carnal person. You could take a lost person. If an unsaved person was in church, they can understand. You either give 10% to God or he's going to take it out in doctor bills. 
A lost man can understand that. A carnal person can understand that. Everybody can understand that. And so if you preach that as your motivation, everybody will shell out. You'll get a higher percentage of giving. But if you start preaching, just give as you purpose in your heart. There's no obligation. You don't have to give because I'm going to go off television. You don't have to give because I'm a poor preacher and I need your help. We're going to shut the doors. You don't have to give because God's going to curse you. And if you take away all of these negative motivations from people and just say give because you love God, if you truly love God, if you preach that, you know what? There's some people that are going to take that as a pass and they're going to say, well, praise God, I don't have to give then. You may not have as many people give, but the giving that people do would receive that hundredfold blessing. They would be prospered back if they would start giving with the right motivation. And I really believe that it is um, important for a minister to present the right motivation behind giving. It's not about just how much money can you receive in an offering, but it's only the money that's given with that right heart, the right motivation that is going to truly come back to people and prosper them. And again, God, the type of giving that God loves is the cheerful giving where you give not grudgingly or of necessity, not to avoid a curse or any of these kind of things. You know, I'm eventually going to have to teach on the tithe uh, because I'm countering so much doctrine here that the average person believes you're going to think I'm against the tithe. I'm not against the tithe. I pay tithes. I give 10%. I give much more than 10%. Uh, from my own personal uh, ministry, from the ministry here, and all of these things. I pay tithes, but I am not under the motivation of doing it in order to obtain God's favor. I don't do it to avoid a curse. I do it because I'm motivated to do it out of love. So what I want to begin to share here is, what is the proper motivation for love, for uh, giving? Why did God tell us to give? Why is it? Is it so that we can obtain God's favor? Is giving something we do and then based on how we act, God gives back to us? No, that's not it. Let me give you some scriptures that I believe will help you to start understanding God's reasoning behind why He told us to give. Look at this passage in Psalms chapter 50. And in verse 7, it says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. You know, if you look at this in the King James Version right here, the words to have been are italicized. That doesn't mean that they're incorrect or wrong. It just means that they weren't in the original text and they were added to help make it grammatically correct. And so it's not wrong for them to be there. But if you were to read this without those italicized words... It says, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings continually before me. In other words, what he's saying is that his bone of contention here with the Israelites, and he's going to talk about this in the uh, next few verses that we read, it wasn't about the fact that they were offering sacrifices because they did that continually. But what you're going to see here, he's upset with them over the attitude of their heart. They were doing what he told them to do, but they didn't do it with the proper heart. See, this would correspond to those scriptures that I quoted from 1 
Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, where it says, if you give all of your goods to feed the poor, or if you give your body to be burned and, and don't have charity, it profits you nothing. The motive behind your giving is more important than your giving. And that's what the Lord is getting at right here. These people have been offering sacrifices, but their heart was far from Him. And so that's what He's beginning to deal with them about. In verse 9 it says, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy foals. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry... I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Now, let me go back and just look at some of these things. Basically, he's talking about the Old Testament system of sacrifices. He's the one that gave those laws. He's the one that told the children of Israel to offer these sacrifices. But now he's reproving them over the heart attitude that was behind their sacrifices. And he's saying, you've missed the whole purpose. He says, why did I ask you to bring a sacrifice? Is it because I'm hungry? Is it because I need to eat? No, there's no indication that God ever commanded these sacrifices because he was eating the sacrifices. That's not what they were all about. And he, he makes this statement. He's, this is really neat. He says, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy foes, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. Amen. <laughs> In other words, if he did need to eat, he wouldn't wait on us to give him a sacrifice. God owns it all. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the fowls. He owns all of the sheep. He owns everything. And he owns the hills that they're on. God doesn't need us to feed him. So why did he ask for sacrifices? Well, it's not fully explained right here, but what he's doing is showing you why he didn't ask for it. It wasn't because he was hungry. And as you look at other passages of Scripture, the reason God told people to offer sacrifices wasn't for God's sake, but rather it was for their sake, so that they could continually remember that their sins had caused a rift between God and them, and that there had to be a payment for that. And the Lord had promised that He was going to make a payment from the beginning of the world, even before the foundation of the world, the scripture says that Jesus was slain. God knew what he was doing, but there had to be a fullness of times when Jesus came. And prior to the time that Jesus came, God knew what he was going to do. In a sense, he was extending mercy to people in the old covenant on credit. The payment hadn't been made, but he had already promised that he was going to send his son and that he would bruise the serpent's head, that he would crush it and destroy it. He had already prophesied these things, and in the heart and in the mind of God, it was a done deal. But it hadn't really physically taken place. So the Old Testament saints, in a sense, were getting the grace and the mercy of God on credit. The payment hadn't been made, but God says, I promise you, I am going to pay for these sins. And so God, really, in his heart and in his mind, it was a done deal. But the people needed to understand that these sins had to be atoned for. They needed to be constantly reminded that there needed to be blood shed 
because of their transgression. It should have rightfully been their blood shed. They should have died. They should have gone to hell. They should have paid. But the Lord wanted to illustrate that He was going to provide a substitute, a Savior, someone else that would pay for their sins. And so this is the reason He instituted the Old Testament sacrifices who was to give a picture of this. He would take an innocent lamb and he would slit the throat of that lamb and pour out their blood and burn their body on the fire to remind them that because of the things that you've done, an innocent life, a pure life, sinless life has to be shed and sacrificed so that you can go free. And it was to remind these people that, you know what, it wasn't God just looking over their sins. He was paying for their sins. There was a tremendous price that had to be paid. It was a testimony to the grace of God, to the love of God, that He was willing to make Himself a sacrifice. And all of these things, see, were involved in those old animal sacrifices. But the reason that God commanded it wasn't for His sake. He already knew what He was going to do. The reason He wanted these people to make these Old Testament animal sacrifices was for their sake, so that they could be constantly reminded that there has to be a payment. There has to be a Savior. God is going to provide for my sins. God is going to cover my sins. It's not God just turning and looking the other way. God is literally making a sacrifice so that His justice and holiness can be satisfied. That's what those sacrifices were picturing. And so this is what he's talking about. He says, you've missed the purpose of these sacrifices. You've thought I was hungry. You're bringing me these animals thinking it's meeting my need. It is not about my need. You need to understand this. The sacrifices are for you and your heart's missed it. Your motive is wrong in these sacrifices. And I believe that there is a perfect parallel between these Old Testament animal sacrifices and the way that God has told us to give in the New Testament. Many people are giving. They're plucking down their 10%. They're putting something in the offering bucket when it goes by. But they've totally missed why God wants us to give. Their heart is completely wrong. And I believe that if the Lord was speaking us directly, He would rebuke us over our motive for giving exactly the way that He did these people over their motive behind the sacrifices. And I tell you, I hate to say these things because by saying it, I'm condemning myself in a sense because I am a minister. But ministers have been where most of these wrong attitudes about finances have come from. really has been because a lot of preachers present when it comes time to give an offering or something, a lot of people present the thing is, please give. I need this. The church needs this. Without your giving, we're going to go out of business. We can't pay our bills. And they present it as the real reason why you should give is to help these poor preachers and to help do things like this. And even though that is a factor, it is true that God set it up so that the church, ministries, ministers, they live of the gospel and that your giving does help a minister, a ministry, a church, All of those things are true. Did you know that's not really the reason that God told you to give? God could have set this up differently. God could have made it so that every minister, he just somehow supernaturally made you a multimillionaire and you could just live off of the interest of that money and never have to ask people for money. All of that could happen. God could have made it that way. Now that would cause a number of problems. 
Man, that would cause so many people wanting to be in ministry, not because of the benefit to the people they're ministering to, but just for selfish purposes. It would have corrupted a lot of people if God would have set it up that way. But he could have done it that way. But if, you know, let me say it this way. If I had a billion dollars, I used to say a million dollars, but you know what? Now my budget's a million dollars a month. So now it would have to be a billion dollars. If I had a billion dollars and if I could just put it in a savings someplace and live off of the interest and if I never had to ask you for any money whatsoever, do you know what? I'd still do it. Because I've come to realize that the reason God wants you to give isn't to meet my need. It's not to meet the need of the church that you go to. But the real reason that God wants you to give is because He wants you to see Him as your source. He wants you to trust Him in this area of your life. Now stop and think about this. The average person probably puts in more time working than you do doing anything else. The only thing that might even compete with it is sleep, and yet most people are working so much that they don't even get eight hours worth of sleep per night. But you spend more waking hours working than you do anything else. You spend more time working than you do recreation, exercise, eating, anything else. Work occupies the vast majority of our time. And if you aren't careful... Because you put so much effort into your job and getting a paycheck, you will tend to think that that money came from you, that you earned it, that that's yours, and that you are the source of all of this. Like, for instance, when you go and pick up your paycheck, when your employer gives you your paycheck, how many of you just fall down and say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me this paycheck. I don't deserve it. You are so kind. You're so gracious for giving this to me. Probably not many of you. Most people, when they go get their paycheck, they may be polite enough not to say very much, but what they're thinking in their heart is, I earned every penny of this and more. You should be paying me more than what you're giving me. You don't look at it as a gift. You don't look at it as grace. You look at it as I earned this and more. And so if you aren't careful, you will go to thinking that you are the source of that prosperity in your life. I can guarantee you there's some people that you're saying, well, I think that's exactly true. I earned this. You know, really, that isn't true. It's God who caused you. Like if you were in the United States or one of these industrialized nations, it's God who caused you to be born in these nations. You didn't pick and choose. You didn't have anything to do with where you were born, what your nationality was, and things like this. It's God who birthed you in to these prosperous nations on the most prosperous time on the face of the earth. I mean, we are seeing prosperity in our day and age. Uh, The average person lives like kings and queens used to in the past. We have conveniences. We have air conditioning. We have heating. We have cars. We have all of these appliances that make our life easier. We live in the most prosperous time. So that kings from, say, a thousand years ago, if they could just be translated somehow or another into your lifestyle, kings didn't live as nice as some of you who are on poverty level live. Everybody watching this program by television, you have a level of prosperity that puts you in the top 10% of people in the world. The, the, The vast majority of people in the world can't afford a TV set. 
You know what? You are prosperous. You didn't cause that prosperity. God's the one who planted you at this time in the place that you are. God's the one that gives you these opportunities and favors. Now, it may be subtle in a way that you don't recognize it. And you may think, oh, I got out and I beat the streets and I got this job and it's my effort that's causing this. Well, no doubt you have to do some things, but it's really God's blessing on you that causes you to prosper. You know, you aren't the one that made yourself normal, quote unquote normal, if you are normal, amen. You didn't make that. You know, the difference between a person whose mind functions normally and a person who's mentally retarded is just a few little chemicals, just a minor difference in the balance right there. You didn't make it this way. It's God who caused the health that you have. It's God who gives you the ability to go out and get wealth. It's God. All God has to do is just take away something from you. And I guarantee you, your heart could stop. Your hearing could stop. You could go blind in an instant. Your mind could quit working. You could come down with Alzheimer's. You could, all of these different things. You know what? God is blessing you. The point that I'm trying to make is you may think I earned all of this money, but you used the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the time in, uh, in this, this time in the earth's history and all of these things. Those were gifts that were given to you by God. So whether you recognize it or not, God is your source of prosperity. Now, some of you may be saying, well, I can see what you're saying. And I agree with that. Yeah, God's my source. Well, it's easy to say. But the Bible says in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. It's got to go further than just acknowledging, oh yeah, God is the one that gave me my health. God's the one that caused me to be born in this nation. God's the one that opened up the door for this job. God's the one that gave me my talents. It's got to go beyond that. There needs to be some concrete action that proves, demonstrates that you really see God as your source. And you know what that action is? God said, give me 10%. Not because God is hungry. Not because God needs your 10%. But you know what? You need to trust God. You need to recognize God is your source. You need to be reminded that even though you labor and that you work, and you may work very hard, it's really God who's given you your talents, your abilities, this opportunity. God is your source. So how is it that you demonstrate that? It's cheap to say, well, yeah, I recognize God's the one that gave me this. But you know what? If you go to the point that you say, all right, Father, I really do see you as my source. And I really do recognize that, like it says in Psalms chapter 75, I believe it's verse 6, that promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west or from the south, but it's God who puts up one and sets down another. If you really believe that, then prove it. Talk's cheap. Actions are where it counts. Prove it. How do you prove? How do you act in a way that shows God is your source? It's real simple. You take a portion of what you've got and you give those finances away. And if there wasn't a God, if there was no favor, if it was just a matter of we evolved from slime someplace and you are your own man or woman and everything that's happened, you have produced all by your own ability and it doesn't have anything to do with the blessing of God and the favor of God, but it's just all on your back. Well, then taking 10% of what you've got is moving away from your goal instead of towards it. When you give that 10% away, 
Say, here's your goal of total financial independence and having everything you could ever lust for or desire. And you're short of it. You're working towards that goal. If you take 10% and give it away, you're moving away from your goal instead of towards it. If there was no God, then taking 10% and giving it away is stupid. If there was no God who promised that when you give, it shall be given back unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, if those things weren't true, well then it is absolutely the worst thing you could possibly do to take a portion of what you've got and give it away. You are moving away from your goal instead of towards it. But since there is a God and since that God promised that when you give, men will give back into your bosom supernaturally, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. Since that is true, then it's an act of faith for you to take that 10%. And give it first to God. It is a way of you proving that, Father, not only in word do I see you as my source, but I believe it with my heart to the point that I'm willing to act on it. And when you do that, that releases the supernatural ability of God. You know, here's another way of looking at it. I I believe that God hates this Sunday-only Christianity or a... uh, I know some of you will misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that devotions are bad, but God hates a devotion-only mentality. There are some people that they do a 10 or a 15-minute devotion, they read something, and that that is their time of trusting God and, and keeping their mind on God. And then as soon as the devotion is over, they go out into the work day and the rest of the day is totally up to them. And God may never cross their mind again. You know what? That's not what the Lord wants. God doesn't want you to just honor Him one hour a week, 15 minutes a day in a devotion. But God literally wants all of you, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your soul, everything that you've got. God created mankind for fellowship with Him and not just one hour a week fellowship, not just a prayer as you're getting ready to go to work fellowship. But He wants to be everything in your life. And that's not out of a selfish motivation on his part. He loves you and he wants to bless you and give to you. But he cannot pour these things into your life if there isn't faith. That's how he set the kingdom up, that everything flows through faith. He wants you to trust him. God wants to bless you more than you're blessed. God wants to give you more than you've got. God wants to help you more than you've ever understood it. But in order for that to happen, there has to be this trust relationship. Again, I refer to Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. God wants you to respond to Him in faith. So He wants you, He wants all of you, not just a portion, but all of you. How does He get you to bring Him into your work week? How does He get you to make Him your source? You're the one that's out here working a job. You get up early. You stay late. You do this. If you aren't careful, you'll get to thinking that you're the one that's produced this. How does God get you to bring Him into this relationship to where even though you work, you see Him as your source? The way He does that is to say, trust me and give me a portion of what you've got. And of course, the immediate question to that is, but God, I need everything I've got. And if I give a portion away, then that means something is going to go without being done. I'm going to miss out on something. But no, God says, if you will give to me, 
if you will honor me with the first fruits of your increase, then I'll bless you so much that you will be promoted. You will, you will have more finances come in. Psalm 75 verse 6 says, Promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west or from the south, but it is the Lord who puts up one and sets down another. God will promote you. Matter of fact, I've got a great testimony of this where there was a woman who came in and she had a boss who was antagonistic towards her. He was an atheist and he gave her a hard time because uh, of her Christian stance. And uh, the boss said he wanted to see her. And this woman went in really half-heartedly expecting that she was going to be fired because the boss had treated her so bad. And the boss sat there and he says, I don't know why I'm doing this. And he gave this woman, I forget the exact figure, but gave her thousands of dollars raised. And she says, I know why you're doing it. It's because God loves me and because God is taking care of me. And this man not only gave her this, you know, three or $4,000 a year raise, I forgot what it was, but while he was in the process, he told the secretary, he says, give her another $200 a month raise. And he gave her all of this and he didn't even want to. And he was griping and complaining about it. But you know what? God was this woman's source. God is the one who prospered her. And because she put God first, God promoted her and even caused an ungodly boss that hated her to go ahead and give her a promotion. I know some of you are saying, I don't believe that. Well, then it won't work for you. You're going to have to start trusting and believing in God. But this woman is a woman that just a year ago, she was in a hospital and she saw me on television. And uh, she said, if I can get out of this hospital and get to that meeting, I know God is going to heal me. And this woman pulled the tubes out of her own body, checked herself out of the hospital over the objection of the staff personnel there. They said, you can't do this. And she says, I'm going. She got in a cab. She came to the meeting. This was in Birmingham. And I prayed with this woman before the service ever started and she was healed of cancer. Her mother had just died of cancer a few months before and she was really struggling with it herself. The doctors had pronounced her as beyond hope. There was no way she could be healed and she just pulled the tubes out, got there. She got healed of cancer. And when I gave the invitation after that service, she came forward and got born again. She wasn't even born again. She wasn't saved. And yet this woman had stepped out. And then she started tithing and she started believing God and all of these things. And that's the woman whose boss called her in and said, I don't even know why I'm doing this. But you know what? She began to honor God. She brought God into her business. She saw that God, even though I'm working, you are my source. And it worked. And God will promote you. And see, this is the reason God tells you to give. This is the reason He tells you to take a portion of what you've got. It's not because God needs your money. And it's not because I need your money. And I know some of you are thinking, so you don't need my money? Not really. And I know some of you won't understand what I'm saying right here. You're thinking, oh, yes, you do. Well, if nobody gave, it's for sure that God's not going to counterfeit money. It's not going to float down out of the sky. He's not going to just create it and put it in my pocket. That's, that's against the law. God uses people. Yes, that's true. But you know what? You aren't my source. God is my source. And God is going to get His money to me one way or the other. And if it doesn't come through you, it'll come through somebody else. And I know some of you don't believe that, but that's the reason you struggle financially. I do believe it. And that's the reason God blesses me. You know, I've been to a number of churches 
where they actually stole the offering, where the pastor would, you know, present for people to give. And then like in my hometown church one time, I held a five-day meeting there and I got a $50 offering and they charged me $55 to get a copy of my own tapes and that's all they gave me. And I know one person came up because he thought something was going on and he asked me and he gave $350 in the offering. I anticipate that the pastor probably pocketed five or $6,000. But you know what? That man's not my source. And I never got mad at him. And I just told him, I said, you know what? God's not going to bless you living this way. But I said, you can do whatever. It's, you aren't my source. I said, God's, <laughs> it's not dependent upon you. And you know what? God got the money to me some other way. So the real point that I've been making is that the reason God told us to give isn't because of his need It's not because if you don't give, I'm not going to bless you or any of these things. It's all about Him wanting us to recognize Him as our source and trust Him in this area. It's all about love. It's all about relationship. God is just wanting us to make Him our source in everything. I don't know if you understand that or not, but if you do get that, it'll totally change your motivation for giving. It's not a matter of an angry God standing up there saying, you give or I'm going to judge you, I'm going to curse you, and things like this. And it's not God saying, until you give, I won't give anything back unto you. No, God's not like that. God, by grace, has already commanded His blessings upon you. God has already spoken His divine favor over you, and it's all He's wanting to give it, but He just wants you to respond positively to Him and trust Him. And so God's grace is already given. You know, I'm going to follow this up and I'll teach on some things about grace and faith that I think will help make this real clear. But it's not that when we give, then all of a sudden God responds to us and deals with us based on our performance. But God has a perfect plan for us. God wants us to prosper. It's just that we have to cooperate with God. So faith doesn't make God. Our actions don't make God do anything. But God has already provided financially for us. He's already blessed us. He's already spoken His blessing over us. And all faith does, faith reaches over and receives what God has already given. Now, that is a major difference, and I'm sure some of you didn't get that. Some people are thinking, I don't care how you phrase it. The bottom line is, until I give, I'm not going to get. Well, but it's more than that. It's all about motives. It's not because I don't give, and then God responds to me. But no, God has already commanded a blessing on me, and it's like He says, right there it is. And so I have to walk over there and get it. I have to trust Him and believe that when I get there, that His provision is there. Here's another thing that maybe if you could remember this and draw on all of this, it'll help you to understand the point that I'm making. But in 1 Kings chapter 17, God made provision for Elijah. And there was a famine in the land, and the king was out to find Elijah and kill him. And so God protected him and said, Go to the brook Cherith, because I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. He says, I have commanded. He had already spoken to the ravens. God's provision was not based on any goodness, holiness, worth, performance of Elijah. God said, I have commanded the ravens. Before he ever talked to Elijah, the provision was made. He had already commanded those ravens to go. But he says, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. 
Not where he was, but there where God told him to go. So, some people might say, well then, Elijah, see, he had to go to the brook Cherith, and when he went there is when God responded to him. Nope, that's not true. God had already made the provision before Elijah had the need. God had already sent the ravens. The ravens, since they could fly faster than Elijah could walk, the ravens were already there. The food was there waiting on him. How do you think Elijah knew where to camp out along the brook Cherith? It's because he found the ravens and the food and the provision was already there. God had already made provision for Elijah, but he didn't send the provision to where Elijah was. He sent the provision to where he told Elijah to go. So Elijah did have to obey But did his obedience make God do something? Nope, God had already done it. But if he hadn't have obeyed, if Elijah would have stayed where he was, he could have starved to death or died of thirst during this drought. And would would that have meant that God didn't meet his need? No, God was meeting his need, but he sent the need to where that place of obedience where he told him to go. And see, it's the same with us. God does not just, when you give, then all of a sudden God responds and gives back to you. No, God has already made provision for every single person watching this program to prosper. God wants you to prosper more than you've ever prospered. I mean, God has made provision so that you not only can get your basic needs met, but so that you can have desires met, so that everything can be done. God is El Shaddai and not El Chipo. God is a big God who wants to prosper you. There is no problem with God and God has already blessed you and prospered you even if you aren't doing what you should be doing. Even if you aren't seeking Him. Even if you aren't living holy. If you don't study the Word. If you don't pray. If you don't go to church. God wants to prosper you. God wants to bless you. But He set up His kingdom so that it takes faith on your part to receive it. God has already sent the supply. The command has already been given. It's not God responding to you when you give. But God does say that you have to trust Him in this area of finances to be able to receive. So how is it that you trust Him? You give. And when you give, that's not when God gives. God has already given. But when you give, it's like you reaching out. It's you going to that place called there and receiving what God has already provided. Man, I don't know if you can understand that. But see, this has just changed my life. Here's an illustration of what we're talking about. Just a few years ago, I was on television and radio, but we were operating on a much smaller scale than what we were. Now, from where we came from, I had really increased. We had doubled in about two years' period of time, and I thought that was really doing well. But then on January the 31st, 2002... The Lord spoke to me about how I had limited him by my small thinking. And when I repented of that, all of a sudden, everything began to change. And one of the first things that happened, we were in a building that was only 14,600 square feet. And we had this worldwide ministry on the God Channel and on many television stations in the United States out of this little tiny place. And I mean, we had people on top of people. It was just unreal how cramped the situation was. So we had to start looking for a new building. And as I looked for a new building, the Lord showed me I was dreaming way too small. I started out looking at a 30,000 square foot building. Eventually, we wound up with this building that we're in right now. It's 110,000 square feet. And you know what? We're nearly out of space here. We're already starting a building program again. 
But anyway, the point that I'm making is that when the Lord spoke to me about how I had limited him and I needed to dream bigger, and when this building came available, it was just a huge, huge leap of faith from where I was. When the Lord told me about going into this building we're in right now, I had to come up with an additional $2.8 million to be able to finish out this renovation. And the Lord spoke to me about not taking out a loan. Now, I'm saying all of these things to get this point across. That you know what? When I took my step of faith, when I said, all right, I will not take out a loan. I am going to do this. God is my source. I am going to supply. And I did a number of things. There was a television minister who was believing to go on a new network and they needed some money. And out of my ministry, I started planning $3,000 a month in somebody else's television ministry. There were other people. I began to start giving $10,000 gifts here and I started giving. Now, did that giving, when I started giving, did that make God all of a sudden respond and bless me back with the money it took for us to finish this building? Nope. God, if he told me to do something, the provision was already there. His grace had already made the supply. The supply was there before the need was ever created. But you know what I needed to do? I needed to not only say I was believing God, I needed to act in faith. I needed to trust God. So right in the midst of our building program and our own need, I began to sow into these other people's ministries. And when I did that, it wasn't when I did that, then God blessed me back. And No, God had already made provision, but it was over there in faith. And I needed to trust God. I needed to say, God, you're my source. It would have been easy to take every penny I had and say, no, I've got to keep every penny I've got to be able to pay this. This is $2.8 million. And yet, you know what I did? I began to start trusting God. And I not only said it in word, but I proved it by giving, blessing other people, and because of it, praise God, we're in this building. We, we missed our deadline by two months, which caused inconvenience. But you know what? We made it. Praise God. I've never done anything perfectly in my life, man. But we made it. We're in here. We got in here without having any debt. And it wasn't that when I did these things, then God did this. No, God had already provided for me. The provision was there. But I needed to take a step of faith. This is what giving is all about. Giving is actually an attitude of faith. It's all about trusting God. It's a matter of faith. It's not that when you do this, then God responds to you. God has already provided for you. He's already commanded a blessing upon you. But you have to have faith to receive it. It's like somebody, you know, putting something in your mailbox. And if you had a lock on there, you could have the goods in there. It could already be sent, but you have to have a way to unlock that thing, to get it out. And faith is the key that unlocks that door and releases what God has already given us. God has already provided. God wants to bless you. But faith is how you appropriate everything that God has done. Your faith doesn't make God move. God is already moved by grace, but your faith is how you reach out and take the grace gifts of God. Over in Romans chapter 5, the scripture there says that we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Let me turn over there and read that because that's a perfect example of the point that I'm trying to make. Romans chapter 5 Verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith 
into this grace. The way you access the grace of God is through faith. And so, see, people can say things, oh, well, I'm trusting God and I'm believing God in this area of finances. But are you tithing? Are you giving offerings? Oh, well, no, I want to, but I just don't have any extra. See, I need all of this. Well, then you can say that you're trusting God and that you have faith. But if you aren't complying with what His Word says, then the reason you aren't giving is because you don't really believe that God is going to multiply it back. You know, if you were sitting right here in front of me right now, and if I had $100, and if I said, I'll give you this $100, but first, you've got to give me $10. And you know, you might be in a situation where you just don't have $10 readily handy. Or maybe you had $10, but you were going to buy it to get fuel on the way home, or you were going to buy, uh, you were going to buy something to eat with it or something like that. You might need that $10. And so you would have it a place spent for it. It's already earmarked in a sense. But if you really believed, now follow this logic, if you really believed that when you gave me $10, I was going to give you back $100, if you really believed that, then even if you needed that $10, you would be a fool not to give it because you are going to reap back more than what you sowed. I think everybody can understand that. And even if you didn't have $10, it would be to your advantage to punch your neighbor and say, hey, could I borrow $10 from you? And I guarantee you, I'll give it back in just a few minutes. If you really believed, if you truly trusted me, if you had faith that when I say that if you give me $10, I'll give you $100, then you know what? You would find a way to give that. Even if you already had it earmarked, even if you needed it, you would be a fool not to do that because you are going to be better off and more prosperous afterwards. I think everybody sees that and understands it. Well, God guaranteed us that if you give, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again." Luke chapter 6, verse 38. There's many passages of Scripture that God promised that when you give, you are going to reap back. It says in Mark chapter 10 that literally you will receive a hundredfold in this life, not just the one to come, but in this life, a hundredfold return on whatever it is that you give. Now, those are the promises of God. So if a person says, well, I want to give. And really, I don't mind giving. I would love to give, but I just don't have any extra. I need all of this. What you're saying is, you may not say it this way, but what you're saying is, I really do not believe the promises of God. Because if you believe that you were going to get more when you give than when you keep it all, again, it would be foolish to keep it all and miss out on this abundance that is promised you. But this is exactly what many people are doing. If somebody was to ask you, You know, are you a giver? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a giver. Yeah, I trust God. Oh, yeah, I give. But the truth is you only give when you have something left over, when you have something extra. You just tip God here and there. God's not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not trying to condemn you or put you down. But what I am trying to say is you can say you are trusting and believing God, but you really aren't because you aren't tithing and you aren't giving offerings. And the only reason you aren't is because you say, but I need this. What you're saying is, I don't believe that God's going to give it back to me. I don't believe it's coming back. I don't trust the promises of God. 
You know, I had a man come to me and he was asking me about finances and he says, would you please pray for me? And I said, well, are you a tither? And he says, oh yeah, I give. I said, do you tithe? Well, I can't give 10%. And he just kept on, but I give and I do this and I'm trusting God. And I, I tell you, I'm believing God. And basically, I just had to come down to it and say, you know what? You say you're believing God, but you aren't tithing. You aren't giving. You, it's one thing to say it, but faith without works is dead. You are not trusting God. I cannot just pray for you and get you financially blessed when you will not cooperate and trust God and take a step of faith and believe God. I know that there's many of you who don't like this. And man, you, this is not what you want to hear. I can hear television sets clicking off all around the world right now. But you know what? What I'm telling you is the truth. And this is why God told us to give. It's not because He needs the money. It's not because He's desperate. God owns everything. He didn't ask you to give for His sake. But God wants you to give so that you could trust Him, so that you could access the grace of God by faith. And faith is not just thoughts. It's not just, oh yeah, in my heart I trust this. Faith will produce actions. The actions themselves may not be faith, but they have to be generated by faith. Faith without works is dead. And so for you to say, I'm trusting God and I'm believing God, but yet you won't give, is wrong. And you know, if you understand what I'm talking about right here, if, if the real reason God wants you to give is not works, it's not like you cash in your giving and then you get back something, but rather it's a step of faith. It's all about trusting God and giving because you love God and you trust Him. If that be true, then the people who really need their money the most and who are saying that I just don't have anything extra to give, then you know what? You are the ones that need to trust God the most. You are the ones that need to give the most. I don't know if you got that, but that is a powerful statement. God has already provided and commanded a blessing upon every one of us, but we have to take a step of faith. We have to move out of fear. We have to move out of unbelief and we need to move into a place of faith for what God has already provided to begin to manifest. And the way He gets us to take that step of faith is to say, take a portion of what you have and trust me. I promise you that if you give to me, I will multiply this back to you. Boy, I think that the wisdom behind this is just awesome. And I tell you, it just totally defies logic. A carnal person cannot understand what we're talking about. You know what this does? It keeps the prosperity and the blessings of God from operating in the life of an unbeliever. It, in a sense, is hidden for us. It's like in code because only under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit can a person's mind understand that when I give a portion of what I've got away, I'm going to have more instead of less. That just doesn't fit to the carnal mind. You have to be inspired by God to embrace this. And when you do that, and when you begin to start trusting Him, really the only motivation, the only real reason to give is because you trust the promises of God. Because all of us need the money that we've got. You know, I've used examples about how from this ministry we actually helped another minister buy their building right when I was at the crunch time and I needed every penny I could possibly get. 
and I wound up giving $13,000 from this ministry to help someone else get the building that they were believing for. I gave money, and I'm still giving money, to a television ministry, another minister, to help them accomplish their goals. And you know what? To a person that doesn't understand God, doesn't know God, and doesn't have a revelation of the Holy Spirit, this just doesn't make sense. Because I need a lot of money. I need twelve, thirteen hundred dollars $1,300 every hour of every day of every week, 24-7. I need twelve or $1,300 every single hour. Now, how can I can be affording to give anything away? Well, if you understand giving properly, I can't afford not to be giving. I can't afford not to operate in faith. I can't begin to start just operating on my own ability and start hoarding. But instead, I need to start giving because faith is what accesses the grace of God. God has provided everything I need to do, everything He's told me to do, but I've got to stay in faith. And if I get out of faith, if I quit giving, if I start hoarding what I have, I guarantee you the supply will dry up. Actually, what will happen is God will still make the supply, but it just won't come to me because I'm not in faith. I'm in fear. And there is a perfect parallel here with you. Some of you are not giving because you are fearful that you need this money. Your confidence, your trust is in the money and in the power that that money gives you to pay your bills, to get food, and to do things. And you wouldn't say it this way. If it was this obvious to you, you wouldn't do this. You'd change. But here's what the bottom line really is. You just do not believe God. Your trust is in your money and in yourself, and it's not in God and in His promises. And that's the reason that you haven't given. I've had people come up to me, many of them, and say, Look, I want to bless you, and I just don't have any right now. But I promise you, if I ever get any extra, if God ever blesses me so that I have... All of my needs covered, my bills paid, my rent, my, my car payment, my insurance, my food and utilities. And if everything I need is paid for, and if I ever get any extra, then I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give. You know what a person like that is saying? Now, again, I'm making it more obvious than probably what you think, but here's the truth. When you say something like that, what you're saying is, when I can give and I don't have to have what I've given returned unto me, I can give, and if the promises don't work and it doesn't ever come back, but I can make it because my bases are already covered, then I'll give. I'll give when I don't have to have faith in the promises of God. Now again, most of you wouldn't say it that way, but that's the bottom line. When people say, as soon as I you know, get anything extra, I'm going to give, what they're saying is, as soon as all of my bases are covered so that when I give, if the promises don't work and it doesn't come back, I can still survive, then I'll start giving. Well, that's unbelief. And here's another way of saying it. If you are a person who is so prosperous that say, for instance, you've got $10,000, $100,000 in the bank or whatever, and you don't need it, and so therefore you're just going to give out of the overflow, but you aren't going to give in a way that you have to depend upon the promises of God being true, well, then you aren't really giving in faith. You need to give a large enough sum. If you're a wealthy person, you need to give a large enough sum that honestly you have to depend upon God to prosper you. You need to put yourself into a position where, Father... I need these promises to be true for me to be able to make it. 
So see, God really doesn't look at the amount. It's, it's not what you give. It's what you have left over after you give that counts. And you need to give to a place to where you really do need God to come through for you in order for you to make it. Now, I'm not talking about giving foolishly. You know, the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10 that God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You've got to have enough sense to be able to figure out, is this bread or is it seed? Is it something I'm supposed to eat? Or is it something I'm supposed to sow? And there is seed for the sower and bread for the eater. you got to have enough sense to know, is this a blessing that God has given you for yourself or to provide for your grandchildren or whatever the situation is, or is this seed to sow? So there's a balance here. But I'm saying that this principle behind giving, the real reason God wants you to give is because He wants you to move into a place of faith where you recognize God is your source and you are trusting His promises and not just your own effort. And I can tell you that I've had many people say, I want to give, I just don't have it to give. You do have it to give. It's not a matter of you not having money. It's a matter of you, first of all, taking care of yourself and then wanting to give off of whatever's left over. And yet it's just the opposite. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And if you took that in its context, it's talking about in finances. You put God first in finances, and then all of these things. What are the things listed in Matthew chapter 6? What you eat, where you sleep, what you're clothed with, your needs... It says God will take care of your needs supernaturally. If you would put God first and not take care of yourself and pay all of your bills and only when you have something extra so that you can give and if the promises don't work, it's okay because you didn't really need it. That's the only time you're going to give. See, that's not faith. Faith is putting first the kingdom of God and saying, Father, I am going to put you first, and your promises are true, and I am going to see the Word of God work in my life. I know many of you are just saying, I just can't believe that you're saying this. Man, it won't work that way. Well, that's the way that I've worked, and that's the way that God's prospered me. You know, right now, like I was telling you, I have to have about a million dollars a month to make this ministry operate, and we offer all of my materials on a donation basis or free of charge. How can you do that? You know why? Because I believe God. And at one time, I was in as bad a situation as anybody. My wife and I went weeks without food. A forced fast. Not a voluntary fast, but a forced fast. We went literally years that we never bought a soda. Because all we didn't have any money to buy a soda. We couldn't rationalize and justify. We went years, drank nothing but water. And eight, I mean, uh, we went, I remember one time we went over two weeks that all Jamie had was some uh, flour and some salt and things like that. And she made pie crust and we ate pie crust for over two weeks one time. I mean, we lived off popcorn. Uh, We were in terrible financial situation. But you know what? In the midst of those situations, I always gave first. And I didn't understand the things that I understand now. I was making some serious mistakes. I thought it was sin for a preacher to go work a secular job, which it isn't. And so there were some things I was doing wrong, and that's what caused some of these hardships. 
But nonetheless, I'm saying I've always sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And you can sit there and you can justify it and write it off. You don't know me and you don't remember the days when I was poor. But I'm telling you, it's my faith in God that has caused me to begin to prosper and get to where I can supply a million dollars a month and pay my bills. I mean, that's it, there is no explanation for this. If you would have known me and known where I came from, there is no justification for this outside of God. And the way that happened is, is because I believed God, and the way I believed Him is I always put first giving. We always gave. If we got $100, we'd take a minimum of $10 out and give it away and only live off the rest. We wouldn't spend it on our own things. I tell you, if you'd get this attitude, you'd find out that that giving doesn't make God do something. God has already commanded a blessing on you. Giving just puts you into a realm of faith to where you can access the grace that has already been given. Father, today I'm praying that you would really work this grace of giving into the lives of people. And right now, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak into people's hearts. Father, to show them this, not out of a sense of debt or obligation, but out of a sense of revelation, that they would take a step of faith and just make a decision that they were going to put you first in everything. Seek first the kingdom of God and then believe that all of these other things will be added unto them. And Father, I believe that you are working that grace in people's hearts right now. And as they obey and step out, I thank you for a brand new level of prosperity in their lives. And we receive that in the name of Jesus. Amen.